0: Hey everybody, this is Chris, student pastor here at the Vista, and uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about our graduating seniors. They've been dealt uh, kind of a tough hand in this uh, season of coronavirus, Um, just losing out on experiences that they've looked forward to um, for a long time, like their prom and uh, different banquets that they have and a traditional graduation ceremony. And so uh, Mr. our student associate, uh, a couple of our small group leaders and I uh, decided to, to go out and surprise them at their homes. We brought signs and gifts uh, to celebrate them and uh, just to let them know that, that we love them, we care about them, and, um, and we're proud of them. So take a look at this video.
1: So I joined Vista Students Ministries about three years ago, and at first I was super scared. I always had to go with a friend, but then I made some really good friends. I also had the opportunity to get to lead worship with um, our youth at Vista, and that has been a really special opportunity. And I would see people worshiping uh, on stage, and I
2: always thought it was so cool and such a special opportunity.
1: Well, congratulations. Thank you. Hey
2: what's up? Congrats.
1: Congrats. We got you awesome. Congratulations. Congrats, Caitlin. Way to go, Caitlin.
3: This has meant a lot of things to me. Uh, to start off with my leader, Matt. Um, he's meant a lot to me. We've been on a few mission trips together and he's always been somebody that I can uh, I can talk to. Um, I'm thankful for the
0: uh, youth program that I was uh, able to be a part of, where I was able to lead worship. Um, I had a great time doing that with Gracie and y'all meant a lot to me, so thank y'all.
1: I know what you're thinking. You're thinking these guys are just being lazy because they don't want to drive to Rogers. It's not true. We just wanted Nathan to be part of your video. Yes.
0: Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, Once again, we just want to say thank you for joining us uh, wherever you may be watching or listening from. Uh, We are really glad to have you. As always, if you're new to the Vista, maybe checking us out for the first time or you're just looking to uh, take the next step, uh, getting connected here, if you'll do us a favor this morning and uh, fill out our digital connect card, uh, you can do that by just texting new to the number that you see on the screen. We'll make sure one of our staff reaches out to you this week, helps answer any questions you have or helps you take those next steps. Again, really glad that you've chosen to uh, tune in uh, this morning to the Vista Community Church. The video that you just saw was a video where we are acknowledging our high school graduating seniors. And we are unbelievably proud of these guys. Um, As Chris mentioned earlier, you know the second half of their final semester of high school has just been crazy with all the coronavirus uh, stuff going on. A lot of the events they normally are a part of have been canceled. Um, And so we just wanted to say as their church family that we are unbelievably proud of our graduating seniors. A lot of people say that Teenagers are the future of the church and I've always sort of pushed back against that a little bit Because they're not the future of the church. They're a part of the church now uh, Many of them are unbelievably faithful many of them serve in different capacities around here and even give and so we're just Really proud of our seniors and their accomplishment and to our seniors. We just want to say to you um, that, that our prayers are with you uh, wherever uh, the road or the journey may take you next um, just know that we're praying for you and you always have a home and a family here at the Vista uh, This morning, uh, we're really excited. Austin is going to be wrapping up our Job series uh, We've been walking through this Old Testament book of Job for about the last month And so today, Austin's going to be wrapping that up And then next Sunday, uh, I'll be launching into a new series entitled, Did God Really Say? And uh, it's basically going to be a series where we take some very Uh, popular or familiar sayings, and just ask ourselves the question, did God really say that, or is that really in the Bible? Um, I think it'll be a a great series if you have a friend or a family, a coworker, neighbor that's not a part of a church, I I think it'll be a great series for you to invite them to tune in and to be a part um, as we walk through that together. So excited about the summer and where we're heading, Um, and uh, we're, again, we're really glad that you've chosen to be here with us. I'm going to pray for us this morning as we uh, get ready for worship and then jordan and the band are going to come up and lead us all right so let's bow together father once again we are just grateful to be in your presence god it's comforting to know that no matter where we are whether we're gathered together in a building or at outside somewhere or sitting in our living rooms um, god you are with us your spirit is with us and so we pray that today that would be true we pray father that you would be with us as we as we worship and as we sing and lift up the name of Jesus. We pray that you would be with us as we hear from your word and that you might challenge us maybe and refresh us in some new ways. Um, God, we pray you'd be with us as we respond um, to whatever it is you're leading us to do. Um, And God, we just thank you in advance uh, that you are indeed with us. And so God, uh, we love you. We're thankful today for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.
4: so much for worshiping with us go ahead and give us a like a heart uh, let us know you're here say hi to a couple people on the stream and then austin has a great message for us
3: good morning everybody thank you so much for joining us online for worship here today at the vista if we have not met before my name is austin i get to serve here as one of our lead pastors and if you're joining us for the first time uh whatever made you tune in we are so glad that you joined us, and we hope that you feel loved and welcomed and wanted. We hope that you feel like you are a part of the Vista family today. Uh, before we jump in, had two quick things to let you know about. First off, we got a lot of questions about the, uh, the bird that ran into the window last week during the sermon. Happy to report the bird was okay. Probably has a concussion, not going to lie to you, but he was alive, and he flew away into that tree back there. So the bird was fine wasn't harmed too badly. Second, and perhaps more importantly, I wanted to give you an update on where things stand for our reopening plans. So after, um, gosh, so many conversations and way too many Zoom calls and a lot of prayer, uh, our leadership, our elders, in conversation with a lot of other churches, local churches that are around our size, have landed on June the 21st as the date that we are going to reopen our building for worship here at the Vista. And we are so Excited about that. I mean, I have missed you guys. Uh, I think this has been a reminder how much we need to be together, like in the same room and not just seeing something on a screen together uh, to really be the body of Christ. And so we are excited about it. But we also want to make it clear that we will take every precaution to observe all of the social distancing guidelines that we have been asked to uh, by our state and local health officials and authorities. And so that means a number of different things. It means services will be capped at around 250 people. Uh, It means that we'll probably have some sort of RSVP system. The services will feel a little bit different. And so just know that while we are very excited to gather, we will be taking every precaution to gather as responsibly as possible. Now, I know that you have questions. You know, questions about like, what are the services going to be like? Uh, Do I need to wear a mask? What's going to happen with kids? How do I RSVP? Those are great questions over the next few weeks. I promise we will be over communicating answers to all of those questions. And so just be patient. Know that a number of videos are coming out here in the next few weeks where we will do our best to answer all your questions and let you know exactly what it is that we will be walking back into. And then finally, and most importantly, I just wanted to again, remind you that we have a really unique opportunity right now because, uh, You know, if you've like watched the news or just had a single conversation with someone or just logged on to Facebook, honestly, bless your heart. Um, Everywhere we look and listen, people are yelling at each other and blaming each other and criticizing each other. You know, you're being too cautious. Do you not trust God? Or you're being too reckless. Do you not love humanity? And it's honestly disgusting and it's gross. And maybe even more than that, it's just really exhausting at this point. And y'all, just trust me as your pastor, we have such a unique opportunity to show the world that Jesus makes a difference, a difference in how we treat each other, you know, a difference in how we walk through the world each day. And so if we, instead of wasting all this energy on criticizing people and blaming people and asserting our rights and our preferences and our nasty opinions about this, that, or the other, if instead we use that energy to understand and be patient and be selfless instead of selfishly asserting our rights and privileges, we're gonna show the world that Jesus makes a difference. And that's what we're here to do. And it is a unique opportunity. So whatever road we take, if we take it with that attitude, we're going to show the world something really special. And so let's please hold each other accountable to do that and walk that way together. All right. So June 21st, we're excited. We'll be cautious. Most of all, continue to be selfless and patient. So today we, uh, we come to the end of the road in our series called Beautiful, Terrible World, a series where we are journeying through the book of Job. And so today we come to our uh, our series finale. Now, Job, Job is a blameless man whose life was ruined for no apparent reason. And so he demands an explanation from God for why this happened. And when God finally shows up, In a whirlwind, right, subtle little flex there on God's part. God's showing off a little bit. God shows up in the whirlwind, but God does not give Job an explanation. Rather, God offers Job an invitation into a much bigger world. Now, God shows up in the whirlwind, puts his, uh, his almighty arm around Job's shoulders, takes him on a journey through space, a journey through time, invites Job to understand that he is neither everything nor is he nothing. And he invites Job to understand that the universe does not revolve around him. It doesn't revolve around humans, but also invites Job to understand that he's not nothing. He's very precious in the eyes of his maker. Right, and so Job has been demanding a response. <clears throat> he finally gets one from God. And so now it all comes down to this. How is Job going to respond to what he has heard from God? And so we'll be in Job 42. And we will read verses 1 through 9. We'll start out with verses 1 through 9. Job 42, very last chapter in the book, verses 1 through 9. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, God, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted or resisted. So who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know, So hear now, and I will speak, I will ask you, and God, you will instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes. Now, it came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, and you go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job will pray for you. For I will accept him so that I might not do according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord told them, And the Lord accepted Job. Right, Job 42, verses one through nine. So, the last chapter of Job can be interpreted in two basic ways, and it really all comes down to verse six, the last words that Job speaks in the book of Job. He says, "Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes." And so, what exactly is Job saying here? Well, according to one interpretation, Job is basically uh, You know, he's apologizing for his presumptuousness and telling God that he should have never questioned God in the first place. Job's like, God, my bad, you're God, I'm not. I should have just accepted my suffering and devastation and never said anything to you. Let's just pretend like this whole thing didn't happen. And the problem with this interpretation is that it really can't make sense of what happens next in verses seven through nine, right? God turns to Job's friends These friends who have spent the entire book telling Job that he can't talk to God like that. These friends who have spent the entire book telling Job that God cannot be bothered to answer some puny little human like Job. God turns to those friends and he says, My wrath is kindled against you, not Job, you, because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. And so in this just delightful turning of the tables, right, God turns to Job's friends and they discover that God's not angry at Job. They've spent the whole book telling Job that God has to be angry at him, but rather God is angry at Job's friends. And why is God angry at them? Well, because they have spoken falsely of God. How have they spoken falsely? Well, they've said God gives everybody what they deserve in this life, which isn't true. And then they've said that God is too great to be questioned by a human, that Job should be ashamed of himself for saying all this stuff which also isn't true. And those of you who know me a little bit know that this is um, a very important part of my personal story of faith. Uh, because as long as I can remember, I have had a very, uh, a very curious and questioning faith. <clears throat> I remember being like uh, five years old and asking my mom who had win in a fight between God and Godzilla. And my mom was a very pious, you know, woman. So she, she assured me that, that God would win in any such battle. And I remember being very unconvinced and going, Mom, are you sure? Because like Godzilla breathes atomic fire out of his mouth. Like what is God going to do? Multiply some loaves and fishes, make the sun stand still, walk on water. No, thank you. My money is on the big green guy. And there have been numerous moments in my life, man, where, um, The doubts and the questions have just come flooding in. And I felt like God is so disappointed in me, you know, for just not being able to have more faith. And there have been numerous moments where I've been really close to just like walking away. You know, walking away from this faith thing, definitely walking away from being a pastor. Because I was just so tired and filled with resentment. And I was filled with resentment toward myself for seemingly being unable of, uh, incapable of having this perfect faith that it it seemed like God required of me. And then I was filled with resentment toward God because God had, you know, dropped me down in this big, ridiculous world, left me with like a billion unanswered questions, and then got angry at me every single time I struggled with my faith. And I know that a lot of you are filled with resentment too, because I've talked to you. And you're tired of being disappointed with yourself For not being able to have perfect faith. And you're tired of disappointing the God. Who allegedly demands perfect faith from you. It's exhausting. But here's the good news of Job. God is not disappointed in you. When you doubt. No rather God is disappointed. When you pretend like you don't. And you pressure other people to do the same. And I'll say that again. God is not disappointed in you. When you doubt. Jude 22, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's so simple. And all it says is be merciful to those who doubt. Right? Why do you think scripture tells us to be merciful to those who doubt? Don't you think it's, it's probably because God is merciful to those who doubt? Yeah, so God's not disappointing you when you doubt. God's disappointing when you pretend like you don't. And I just cannot tell you how liberating it is to understand that instead of pretending like you have perfect faith, you can just confess that you don't, right? You can stop with the charade. Instead of pretending you have perfect faith, you can just confess that you don't. And yet you can place your imperfect faith into the hands of a perfectly faithful God. Because, y'all, that's what being a Christian is. It is having imperfect faith in a perfectly faithful God. And that is good news. It's liberating news, Okay. And that brings us back to our text because God is angry at Job's friends because they have spoken wrongly and yet God is pleased with God because Job has spoken rightly. Right? And so how has Job spoken rightly? Well, that brings us back to verse 6 and what appears to be the better interpretation of it. So when Job says he repents in or of dust and ashes in verse 6, the most likely explanation is that Job is not apologizing for just questioning God In general, but rather Job is apologizing for accusing God of indifference and cruelty toward humans. Okay, For example, in Job 30 verses 19 through 21, Job's worked up a little bit. He's mad. He's in one of those lathers he gets worked up into during the book. And he accuses God of cruelty toward humans. And he uses this exact phrase, dust and ashes. Listen to it here. Job 30 verses 19 through 21. God has cast me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry out to you, God, for help, but you don't answer me. I stand up, and you turn your attention against me. You have become cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. Okay, so understandably, that's how Job felt, right? He felt betrayed by God because he was a good man whose life was ruined for no apparent reason. And then prompted by his own devastation, Job looked around at a world that he had previously thought was just and fair, a world where he thought God gives everybody what they deserve. And now he sees a world that is horrifically unjust and cruel. Job, Job looks around and he sees a world where the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer, right? And this is what often happens to us when everything is going our way, when things are good for us. We look around the world and we're like, yeah, you know what? The world's a pretty good place, man. I mean, like, I'm getting mine. Everybody else must be getting theirs, too. This is good. This is fair. But then something happens, and your life falls apart. And all of a sudden, you look around, and you go, oh, you know what? Actually, the world's not such a fair place. Actually, it kind of sucks a little bit, right? Wicked people prosper, and really good people don't. And this brings us to something that you have perhaps noticed but might have missed kind of connecting the dots until now. For weeks, we have noted that all of Job's friends make the mistake of believing in something called temporal retribution, right? Of believing that God gives people what they deserve in this life. But what we've not explicitly noted until now is that Job actually also believes in temporal retribution. Retribution, right? Is light bulb kind of going off now? That just like his friends, Job mistakenly believes that God has agreed to run the world in such a way so that God gives good people good things and bad people bad things. And that is precisely why Job is so angry, right? Job's like, God, I thought we had a deal, man. Like I would be good and righteous and I would serve you and you would protect me and mine. But I was good and righteous and you were not protecting me and mine. This is why Job is so mad. All that to say... Job is devastated because he feels betrayed by God. And there's no deeper betrayal, okay? He feels betrayed by God. But Job hasn't been betrayed by God. No, Job has been betrayed by his own false expectations of God. In other words, Job has been betrayed by his own unfaithful believing. All right, so let's slow down here and spend a little bit of time talking about this because this is the reason why so many people either walk away from their faith or are left with a faith that is so weak and indifferent that it's barely even faith anymore. Right? A few months back, um, somebody dropped by my office in the midst of a very difficult situation. Um, her father had recently passed away after a really difficult battle with cancer. And her dad was just like an awesome, godly man. You know, this good and and godly dad who had been there for her every single day of her life. She had never lived a single day of her life without her dad there to love and support her. And so they prayed that he would get better. And they believed with all of their hearts that God would heal him. But God didn't. God God didn't heal him, and he died. Not too long after that, her husband had a very serious health scare, and she was forced to really consider, you know, like for the first time in her life, really consider that she might have to raise her kids without her husband or her dad. And she was just devastated. And I'll never forget what she said to me, because it's one of the most honest things I've ever heard somebody say. She said, Austin, I've served God my whole life. I've like loved him and worshiped him and poured my life out serving other people. I've done everything imaginable, like in the church, I've done everything. I've done everything I can to please him. And I'd always been told that if I did that, God would protect me and God would protect my family and God would answer my prayers when I asked. But now I am losing everything and I just feel so betrayed by God. And she was expressing something that, that most of us have and all of us will feel at a certain point, right? This, this sense of betrayal, this sense that, that we had an agreement with God when we would serve him and he would protect us, but then something happens and God appears to fail his end of the agreement and we find ourselves filled with disappointment because God has betrayed us. But again, here's the thing. God has not betrayed us. I know it feels that way. I have been there. I promise I have been there. But God has not betrayed us. No, our false expectations have betrayed us. Because God never promised to keep us and our family safe if we worshiped him. God never promised to answer all of our prayers if we have enough faith. That was never true. And it will never be true. And sooner or later something will happen. And God will appear to fail you. And when that happens, you're going to have a decision to make. Either you're going to believe that God has betrayed you. Or you're going to accept that the agreement you thought you had with God was always an illusion. It was never real. God never made that deal with you. So let's, um, let's switch gears a little bit here with thought experiment. Okay, um, If you were Satan which again, I, I know is easier for some of us to imagine than others. It's really easy for Jordan to imagine. If you were Satan and you wanted to get people to reject God, how would you do it? You know, like, What would your game plan be? Would you, would you stage a direct assault? Would you take out a 30 second Super Bowl commercial where you showed up and you, your red horns and your pitchfork and you offered some you know reflections, some philosophical and scientific and theological explanations for why worshiping God is silly and superstitious? Is that what you would do? Well, you know, probably not. It'd be not a great, you know, use of your money. Uh, You would want something that was a little more indirect, a little more subtle. Uh, I mean, do you remember the story of the temptation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? It's in Genesis 3. Well, when the the serpent slithers up and tempts Adam and Eve, do you remember what he says? Well, he doesn't say like, hey, Adam and Eve, you know, come here. It's me, the devil. Um... We all know worshiping God is silly and superstitious, so here's an idea. How about you worship me, the devil, instead? How does that sound? It probably wouldn't have worked. There are not a lot of people who are, like, looking to worship the devil. There's a small handful of them, I am told. Uh, so that wouldn't have worked. And so instead, what Satan does, right, he slithers up in disguise as a snake, and he says, hey, it's Adam and Eve, come here. Uh, you know that God is holding out on you, right? Yeah, he didn't want you to eat from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because he knows that once you eat from it, you'll become like him. And he doesn't want any competition. Yeah, the big guy's holding out on you, right? So go get some of that fruit. It's good. In other words, Satan's original trick was not to get people to disbelieve in God, but was rather to get people to believe lies about God. Okay, Satan's original trick to get us to believe lies About God. And that brings us back to this idea of believing in God unfaithfully. You see, Satan does not care if you believe in God so long as you believe in lies about God. Because if you believe in lies about God, if, for example, you know, you believe that God has agreed to keep you safe and happy so long as you worship Him, then sooner or later, here's what's going to happen God is going to appear. To fail you, God's gonna violate this imaginary agreement you thought you had with God. And then you're gonna feel betrayed. And your betrayal is gonna fester into disappointment, and your disappointment is gonna fester into disillusionment, and you'll eventually be left with a faith that is so indifferent that it's just really not faith anymore because you're so tired of being disappointed and betrayed by the God you thought was supposed to protect you. Okay? And notice. All of this happened because you strongly believed, but you strongly believed in things that just weren't true. And so to just say this as clearly as I know how, the goal of faith is not to just believe as strongly as you can. No, the goal of faith is to believe faithfully is to believe the right things about God. I'll say that again. The goal of faith is not to just like to have as much faith as you can. No, the goal of faith is to have the right kind of faith is to believe the right things about God because sincerity and deep conviction are not enough. You know, you can sincerely believe in Bigfoot. I know a few people who do. You can sincerely believe you can fly, but that sincerity ain't going to make Bigfoot appear in your backyard, and it's not going to make you sprout feathers. So I suggest you not jump off of any buildings based upon the sincerity of your belief. Sincerity and deep conviction, they are not enough. And this is why the only thing worse than not believing in God is believing very strongly in things about God that just aren't true. And that's what a lot of us have done. And that's what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to get you to believe strongly. Satan wants you to believe with all your heart. But he wants you to believe with all of your heart things that aren't true. Because then one day you'll walk away from faith all on your own. Because you're so tired of feeling betrayed. And that brings us back to our friend Job. In Job 42, verse 6, Job's last words in the book of Job are, I repent of dust and ashes. And what Job seems to be saying is that he realizes that he has believed unfaithfully. He's wrongly believed that God rules the world, handing out retribution, giving everybody what they deserve. And so he was upset because he thought he didn't deserve it. But now he understands that retribution is not the rule that rules the universe. That God does not give everybody what they deserve in this life. That the world is a wild place. And that God has purposes in the world beyond the safety, comfort, and happiness of humans. But instead of accusing God of indifference and cruelty for creating this world, Job finally accepts it. Job accepts that he is little. He is far littler than he had ever imagined, that the universe does not revolve around him, but he's loved by his maker. Job accepts that he is dust, but he's not ashes. He is dust that has been created in the image of God. Job finally accepts this world that God has made and his place in it. And that brings us to the very, very end of our story. Okay, Job 42. Verses 10 through 17, the very end of our story. So the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before came to him and they ate bread with him in his house and they consoled and comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him one piece of money and each a ring of gold. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 female donkeys. He had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first Jemima and the second Keziah and the third Karen, Hapuch. In all the land, no women were found so fair as Job's daughters. And their father gave them inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. And he saw his sons and his grandsons, four generations. And then Job died, an old man and full of days. So, if you were to lose everything and all 10 of your children. I know it's hard to imagine having 10 children. I think only the Tuckers were close to that. So if you lost everything, and all 10 of your kids, right, and then God would, you know, show up and be like, hey, you know, that was, that kind of got out of hand. Um, <clears throat> I feel really bad about that. So here are 10 new kids. Are we cool now? Um, that probably wouldn't go over so well for you. I mean, maybe one or two of your kids, you know, would be an okay swap, but for the most part, that wouldn't work, right? You know, so we we all know that. And so what we have here at the end of Job's story it requires a little uh, a little interpretive flexibility on our part, right? It requires us to go with the flow a little bit to remember that a story is being told here. And so, what we have here at the end of Job's story is what we have at the end of so many great stories, and it's the happy ending, right? You, you recognize it? it's the happy ending. Not only does Job have everything restored, we're actually told he has everything doubly restored he gets twice as many camels and twice as many sheep and he gets 10 new children right which i guess means he and his wife they they kind of patched things together after she told him to, to curse god and die and he called her a foolish woman they went to the marital counseling man they hung in there they had 10 new kids and his daughters are the fairest daughters in all the land and job dies an old man full of good days and it all just sounds a little bit over the top, right? You can admit it. It does. You know, it, it sounds a little too good to be true. It sounds a little bit like a fairy tale. It's okay to admit it. It does. But let me tell you another story that sounds like a fairy tale. So at the very center of Christian faith, there's the story of a God, the God, the infinite God, who becomes a man, lives a fully human life, and then dies a God-forsaken death. And that should be the end of the story because that's that's kind of the end of every story, right? Uh, you die, the end. <laughs> no matter who you are, no matter where you go in this life, that's where every single human story ends. You die, the end. But then something unexpected happens. Early in the morning, a stone was rolled away from a soon-to-be empty tomb, because Jesus of Nazareth came strolling out of that tomb, having conquered Satan, sin, and death, and having conquered Satan, sin, and death, he's been raised up by his father to an indestructible life that he's even now pouring out on all the sons and daughters of God. And so here's where our story ends. The world is a beautiful and a terrible place. Your life is going to be filled with soaring joys and profound sorrows. And there's really nothing you can do to protect yourself from any of it. You know, you will love and you will lose. And your heart will be full and it will be broken. And then one day, eventually, you will die. And that should be the end. But it won't be. Because God has not yet done everything that God can do. Now for various reasons, some of which we understand, but most of which we don't, God allows sin and suffering to afflict our world, but God's not gonna let sin and suffering have the last word. And when the world, as we know it, comes to a close, then God will finally do everything that God can do. And when God finally does everything that God can do, it looks like the resurrection of the Son of God and all the sons and daughters of God. And when that final curtain gets drawn on the world, as we know it and God's new world begins y'all it's gonna be the happiest happy ending that the world has ever seen but it ain't no fairy tale and it's not too good to be true it's the gospel and it's too good not to be true let's pray gracious God the world is a beautiful and terrible place We are people who are destined to love and to lose, to have hearts full of love and to die with broken hearts. And yet we wouldn't have it any other way. And we accept this world that you have made. We accept our place in it. And we accept that instead of an explanation for all the pain and all the suffering, what you have offered us is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it sounds too good to be true, God. It sounds like a fairy tale, but it's not. It's too good not to be true. And so even now we turn our eyes to that, to that empty tomb and we remember that the end of our story is the resurrection of the Son of God and all the sons and daughters of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to give ourselves a few moments to respond now. And what that means is a few moments to slow down. Let the Spirit of God get beneath the surface and do the deeper work that God would probably like to do today. There are a number of different ways you can respond. Uh, First off, man, maybe today for the first time, you kind of heard this story of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, God becoming man, conquering Satan, sin, and death, unleashing an indestructible life right here and now on all the sons and daughters of God. You say, I want to be a part of that. What does it look like? How do I do that? We've got a prayer team that's standing by waiting for your phone call they would love to walk you through what that looks like or maybe you just need prayer about something else i know a lot of us have just had some really stressful situations uh over the 9 months we've been in the midst of 9 months it feels like 9 months 9 weeks we've been in the midst of the quarantine and so if you'd like to talk to somebody pray with somebody they're waiting for your phone call second great way to respond is by what we call giving and receiving so by giving we just mean giving financially god was gracious to us in jesus We're gracious in return every single week. And Christians have done this for thousands of years. We pull our resources together. And then we look out and look for ways to bless the world with it. And so that's what we're doing with our resources. That's what we do when we give. And then after giving, we receive. And by receive, we mean receive communion, the body of Christ broken for you the blood of Christ that was shed for you, this meal that is a reminder of our past forgiveness and our future redemption, this meal that reminds us that God is throwing a party for sinners. Everybody's been invited. There's more than enough to go around. And so uh, if you're watching, you follow Jesus, go gather your elements now. We've reminded you every week that really anything will do, right? any sort of bread, any sort of juice, cracker, whatever it is, I'm gonna grab mine. You grab yours. This the family, this is the body of Christ that was broken for you. And this is the blood of Christ that was shed for you. So take and eat a free gift of your maker, a visible, tangible, physical reminder of the love of God that has been poured out for everybody in Jesus Christ.
4: His body bound and drenched in tears They laid him down in Joseph's tomb The entrance sealed by a heavy stone Messiah still and all alone Oh praise the name of the Lord our God oh praise his-
1: Hey Vista, thanks for tuning in today. Uh, As Austin mentioned just a little bit earlier, we are excited to begin the reopening process uh, starting Sunday, June 21st. Now, we're gonna be putting out a frequently asked questions video later this week that'll answer a lot of the questions you probably have right now. Uh, We'll also put out a what to expect video where you can kind of see the details of how we're gonna be creating a safe environment for you to participate in worship in. Uh, But before we jump into all that stuff, there's something I really wanted to get the ball rolling on this week. So we love the reputation of when people walk into Vista, they feel loved, they feel welcome, they feel wanted. And that's a a feeling we want them to have when they come into the commons, when they enter the parking lot, or when they drop their kiddos off at Vista Kids. Now, it's not a feeling that just magically happens. That feeling, that culture is created each week by countless volunteers that make everything happen. And so as we begin to think about reopening and adding additional service times, the need and the importance of our volunteers to create that environment and to also help us with all the new safety logistics that we'll be implementing, the need for those volunteers is just going to be increasing exponentially. I mean, if you think about it, when we break up all the service times, we're going to need around 250 volunteers per Sunday to make Vista Vista. And so we have a lot of volunteers on existing teams, but with so many different things happening in the COVID season right now, we know not everyone's gonna be able to jump back into worship right away. So what we're asking today is if you're comfortable attending our physical campus for worship, would you also consider serving on one of our volunteer teams? Now, we're not saying this is a lifelong or a long-term commitment or anything. We just need a couple of weeks of, of some additional help as we reopen to help us with all of the new services and all the new logistics that we'll be implementing. So that could be serving on our host team, our parking team, or helping out in Vista kids with our nursery or preschool students. So we have a ton of opportunities, a ton of options. We'll walk through the details with you individually. So if you want to sign up, you can do that today. Just check out the vista.tv serve. You can also find it on the Vista app. And be sure to also be following our social this week because we're going to be putting out that frequently asked questions video and giving a lot more details of what to expect as we begin to reopen on June 21st. We love you guys. We'll see you next week.